to Into the West, a Middle-Earth SVG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and with me today are Richard, Ian, and Alexander. In today's episode, we will be talking about Boromir, and it is a double feature of the two Boromir profiles, Boromir of Gondor and Boromir Captain of the White Tower. And then in our open topic, we will be talking about the interaction of heroic actions. So... Let's dive into the first profile, Boromir of Gondor. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. Now, Boromir of Gondor is from the Fellowship of the Ring army list, and um, he's based 95 points. He's moved 6, fight 6 with a 4 plus shoot, strength 4. Defense 5, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, Courage 6, 6 might, 1 will, and 0 fate. He comes with armor, sword, and the Horn of Gondor. Bormir can blow the Horn of Gondor at the start of any fight when he's outnumbered at least 2 to 1. The enemy with the highest Courage value must make a Courage test, and if the test is passed, the combat is fought as normal. If the test failed, Bormir automatically wins the fight and can strike blows against his enemies. He has 4 heroic actions. Heroic March, Heroic Strike, Heroic Strength, and Heroic Defense. And he has three work gear options, a Horse for 10 points, Elven Cloak for 5 points, and Shield for 5 points. So the first thing I guess I would want to say is um, that if you have the classic Fellowship Boromir model, the one where he's holding his horn, I highly recommend using that one because it seems like everyone forgets about the Horn of Gondor. And that's the only model oh, holding it. <laughs> my God, dude, it's it's so true. I don't know about like I know Richard has used him in a tournament before, but like I probably got to like game three or four. I think I've mentioned this before. And then like halfway through, I was like, oh, the horn. No, no, I, I've used Warmier in tournaments, but I don't use the horn either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not very likely. Well, it depends on who you're fighting, but a lot of the times. They pass the courage test anyway. But it's interesting how it says the highest courage model test. So what happens if you have like a guard of the fountain court that you're fighting and then beside him is like is like a captain? Would the captain still have to test because he's the highest courage and you can't use the bodyguard? Yeah, that's a good point. I think the wording is that because I don't think. They can choose who can, takes the courage test. It's just the highest courage. But can you use bodyguard to pass a test like that anyway? It says the enemy with the highest courage tests. So you, so. you might not be able to pick your bodyguard guy if no, he doesn't have the highest courage. Isn't there a clause or like in the FAQ where it says like you can't like for tests like this you can't use bodyguard? Uh, no, I think I think that that clause is for another rule. Like I think it's. A, a pony or something when a pony uh, wants to charge an enemy even if he's fearless he has to test you know i think it's for something like that mm. um, or because like or like the ring is like that where like you can't use like bodyguard to charge yeah an yeah, that's yeah. What I'm of. the other question i have with this rule with the wording is um it says if the test has failed formula automatically wins the fight and can strike blows against his enemies does this mean that even if he's shielding or even he if he's prone because it says that he automatically wins and can strike. Well, that says can. That doesn't mean he has to, right? I, I would think that can is conditional based on the fact that he's actually in a position where he's able to strike. 
Yeah, but it seems like if that was the intention, what's the point of including the can strike blows? Because everyone knows that if you win the fight, you can strike blows normally. To me, this sounds like possibly if he's shielding or he's prone, where he normally wouldn't be able to strike, he can strike. I've never played it this way, but well, it made me think about it. Well, well, I think the easy way about it is if you just activate this at the start of the fight. So if you call the Horde and Gondor before you call whether you're going to shield or you know, you're going to strike normally. So if you automatically win the fight, I guess if you were trying to do a non-lethal strike, then you can call you're going to shield after your Horn of Gondor already goes off. I, I assume that wouldn't be an issue with your opponent. I just really doubt someone will argue with you at a tournament saying that because your Horn of Gondor blew, you can't use your shield anymore. You have to strike at me. Okay. And probably the same for prone. You probably still can't strike if you're prone. Yeah, I feel like that would be covered in the main rules manual where it'll, it'll just say something. I don't know. Yeah, just the wording, to me, it reads like it could be an exception. But, but it doesn't say it's like, uh, it's not like a definite thing, mm-hmm. like in his rules. So I feel like the main rules would for being prone would just kind of override that. Right. You know what I mean? Like compa- like like with the legless thing where it says he always hits on a 2+. Plus, and then people yeah. go, oh, blinding light. And he says, no, 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 this is an always thing and it's always this. Whereas Boromir, it's just yeah. like, hey. I feel like we're also giving this way too much thought, considering it's a rule that none of us ever use. Okay, to be <laughs> fair, that's true, but we also went on a massive tangent on Gandalf's cards, so this is very on like on par for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention was that he's a hero of valor, and because he's a hero of valor, why you see him in so many competitive lists? He's the only character, besides our, our second profile of today, He's the only character that has six might in his might store. And with his heroic actions that he has access to, in combination of the six might and his low cost, you see him being allied into many different army lists. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Like, I'm just looking at his heroic actions again, and he has all the ones that we love. Strike, defense, march, and I think the last one's strength. Like, that's crazy. He's got, like, (laughs) it's just such a good, like, number of actions. And then... On top of the fact he has six might, it's it's insane. He might be the most allied and good hero after Lady of Light, maybe. Yeah, I mean, usually you see him, yeah, kitted out for 110 points, so with the shield and on the horse. And, like, to be honest, like, I, I write a lot of elven lists, and I go, okay, I want to include a captain for the march in this list, but once I go for an elven captain, they're probably getting up to, like, 80, 90 points, closer to 100 if they're mounted, and then it's like, why don't I just go for Boromir and get four more might points and a whole bunch of better heroic actions? Like, it's it's crazy. Normally where you add an entire warband to get numbers, an extra few might, maybe different aspect to the army, he brings, like, two or three the things that you typically want to ally in with an entire warband in one character. Boromir of Gondor profile is a little bit of a glass cannon because it doesn't have any fate points, but aside from that, he's just... He'll bring most of the package by himself. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can like look at it at face value and be like, his weakness is no fate, and you know he's prone to like magic casting because he's only has one will. But honestly, at this price point, like you really don't care. It's like in the same vein as the Spider Queen, you know, like they're just so cheap that. You know, you're you're 90% of the time going to get your bang for the buck. So, like, who cares if he dies by the end of the game? So, 
I, I don't even take marks off of him. Like he probably is the top. He he has to be in the top three like best good heroes, arguably number one. Yeah, I won't argue yeah. with that at all. I mean, I I at the very most would dock him maybe a quarter of one point for all of those detriments because of how good the rest of the profile is. Like, there's no arguing with it. Six might points. Six might points. Like, I need two named heroes to do that. You can't do that for uh, 100 points. And then plus the hitting power, having a mounted hero, Horn of Gondor, it's just, it's too much. And by too much, I mean, like, it's great. It's fine the way the profile is. It's just, you can't argue with how good it is and what it can bring. I think the unique thing about having six might is he can, for one turn, a one crucial turn, if you need him to, he can get any dice roll up to a six. So whether it's like a crucial combat or like a duel or he needs to wound something, you know, you can argue that having six might is better than even like a hero with mighty hero because he has that store that he can burn. You can just use him as a hand grenade to get that one crucial turn consistent and getting the rolls you want. So I think that's a really unique thing that only Bormir has in the game. I... 100% 100% agree. I think that the one story you kind of always hear about people when they kind of first start getting into the game and they have like the Minds of Moria set, and eventually they learn that they can send Boromir into the Cave Troll, and basically no matter what happens, he kills the Cave Troll in the first round of combat, just because he mites up all of his rolls to kill it. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, yeah, of course, that's stupid. <laughs> just because you can. So, are we all going to go tens on this one? I'm sitting at a 10, and I think Richard is... Easy 10. Yeah, I think it'd be silly to really uh, knock him down any further than that. He's a he's a 10. You know, I, I kind of wanted to go lower, but I feel like I've done we've done somebody recently who was probably, probably... Like, if I put them at a 10, I have to put him at a 10. I think maybe it was, like, Dalamir or something. It was Dalamir. I think he's a ten. Yeah, I can't. I can't give like Dalamir a ten and not give him a ten for. I think you gave Suladan a ten. Ah, Suladan. Yeah, yeah it's probably Suladan. I would say Dalamir is a little bit easier to criticize because he doesn't have a mount option and he only has yeah. two might. Um, Suladan was the one that was an easy ten, I think. But Ian, okay. your criticism always of not giving a ten is that you want a hero that can affect the troops around him. That's true, but. And that's why, I, like, initially, when we were giving our ratings, I'm, like, hesitant to give him the 10. But then, like, you think about it, the fact that he brings six points of might, that's a lot of moves and a lot of marches. If he does nothing else in the game, that's huge. And for, like, the package that's just over 100 points, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you guys. Maybe nine and a half, if I want to be, like, really rude. But, like, it's still great. It's still great. Nine and a half is pretty rude. <laughs> you are, know you want to give him a 10 it's kind of like what Charles said I feel like there really aren't very many other heroes maybe 3 or 4 in the entire game that have the ability to go into a situation and change the game just by themselves you can guarantee with Boromir that I mean unless you get unlucky and he dies really quickly because he has no fate points like, he's going to die eventually, but he's probably not your leader, so it's fine. He's going to go out and do a ton, and you can almost guarantee, like, he's going to go out by himself, potentially by himself, and complete an objective. He can take an objective, he can kill a big hero, he can knock off a target, 
and he's going to do it. And you'll get at least one of those out of him in a game. If you're lucky and he doesn't get wounded, he's probably doing more than one. Unless you get hit by a trebuchet shot in the first turn. <laughs> well, yeah, is that uh, you? Is this, is this where this is going again, man? It's okay. It's, it's going to be okay. It's not salty at all. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel like this guy is like the grenade that Haldir really wants to be, and he's just not quite there. <laughs> but Boromir, Boromir is just like, yeah, bro, check it out. I got this. Easy. Okay, so, Ian, 9.5 or 10? I think I'm at the 10. It's just... <laughs> like, like you can't say something like, oh yeah, he's one of the top like three models you're going to ally into every list because he's just so good. And then be like, nah, he's not that good. So yeah, I'm going to give him a 10. Yeah, okay. I think that's the first profile that gotten straight 10s from us. And uh, I think it's well-deserved. So we'll move on to uh, our second profile of the day, which is uh, Boromir, Captain of the White Tower. And he's found in the Minas Tirith list. He's also a hero of valor, but his base cost is 160 points. And the main difference in his stat line is that um, he, he's wearing heavy armor now. So he's a defense six base and his heroic stats are more well-rounded. So he's six might, three will, and three fate. And as for war gear, he still has the sword in the Horn of Gondor. His heroic actions, they're the same, except he's lost heroic march. So he does strike, strength, and defense. And his war gear options are a little bit different. So he has a banner of Minas Tirith for 40 points, horse for 10 points, a lance for 5 points, and the shield for 5 points. So the banner of Minas Tirith, is, it's a banner, and he has a range of 6 inches. Bormir and all Gondor warriors within 6 inches of him gain a plus 1 bonus to their fight value. So this is cumulative with other bonuses to the fight value. So I think in this case... Specifically, it applies to, like, Osgiliath veterans with loyal to the captain's rule and also Prince Emmerhill's fight value buff to certain models in, in that army list. The one condition, though, is that if you carry the banner of Minas Tirith, you can't also carry a lance. So this profile, because it's in a Minas Tirith list, he can lead warriors, and it represents Boromir in his prime when he was leading armies in Gondor. So I think this profile is also really popular. Not as popular as the Fellowship Boromir. And um, he is a lot more expensive, but he kind of also does different things. Ian, he he buffs the troops around him. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> he also pays for it. Well, okay, I just want to say, like, the first thing is, like, when you're looking at this profile, do you guys, like, always take the banner? I'm basically of the mind that, yeah, I would always take the banner, but I, I just I wanna, I wonder what you guys think. Yeah, I, I think you definitely do. I think we've covered this in the Suladan episode, but a six-inch banner is already probably worth around that points value. And then he also has the plus-one fight, which is incredible. Yeah, having a uh, fight seven or hero, you always take it. <laughs> well, fight seven, and it gives like all your warriors and Minas Tirith and Gondor, Gondorians beside you like become like actual fighters and not just mm -hmm. meat fodder. So. Yeah, and Gondor has a lot of access to Fight 4, so it becomes like a Fight 5 horde, potentially. I think that, yes, you always take the banner, because if you compare him with uh, Boromir of Gondor, he's base 65 more points, and in return he gets one more defense, he loses March, and he gets two will and three fate. Those are like the main differences, and 
to me. Um, I don't know if that's worth 65 points. So I, I think without the banner, he's a little bit overcosted. If I were to, you know, change his profile up a bit, I'd probably make him 150 base and then make the banner 50. Then you might be able to argue taking the lance. But at this point, I think that he's definitely much better value with the banner. Well, I mean, I feel like most situations, if you're going to take Boromir, Captain of the White Tower, he's going to be in a list that is either Gondor heavy, so you've got the keyword all over the place, or you're in an alliance where you can make the synergies work. Like You've already talked about uh, Emerhill's bonus. What it's capable of is just amazing. So, you know, when they say you can't take a lance, I'm like, oh no, big loss. You lost a lance, but now all of your Gondorians are like, they're either really strong fighters or they're essentially elven troops. And that's freaky, especially when they've got the shield wall. If you've got the Warriors of Minas Tirith across the board. Yeah, I'd say personally, my biggest thing for me, like with the banners, like it's nice to have the elite troops go up to fight five. But just having all your basic troops go up to fight four, suddenly their defense seven, fight four, like they can compete and they're still really cheap for that kind of a stat line. So then they actually become quite efficient because then you end up with like a big kind of horde of very, very well statted troops within this bubble. And the other thing is he actually makes the Ministry of the Knights like viable if they get, get up to fight four. Suddenly they're not just playing the sides and doing like random cheeky stuff as cavalry. They can actually like hit a lot harder because they can actually win fights. Yeah, and I guess one more thing about the Lance is I feel like he's one of the best heroes, or one of the heroes that you don't need the plus one uh, modifier, just because with the banner, he's fight seven, and he has six might. So I think he's one of the best candidates for heroic strength. And I, I know Charles has talked about this in the past before when he was fighting defense seven, like uh, Great Beast of Gorgoroth at the Nova tournament and he used heroic strength to uh, easily get to, you know, strength to seven and you could be burning like the heroic strength, like every turn. That and just like, even if you don't call heroic strength on the charge, if you're fighting infantry and you get eight dice to wound, I mean, eight dice to wound is fantastic. Six might, which we've talked about already like 20 times. Yeah. He doesn't need the help. I think his main weakness, just from using him, is that he's only a hero of valor. At Nova, back when, before they changed it in FAQ, you could run him with King Elisar. And just with those two heroes, I only had 18 warband space from Elisar and 15 from Bormir. And for such an expensive hero, um, being able to only lead 15 sometimes can make your compositions a little bit awkward. I think that he would be up there with the Fellowship Boromir profile in value if he was a hero legend. But, you know, he's still an excellent hero. If you go back to episode 11, that one, I also had him with a banner combined with a fiefdoms army at a thousand points. And because fiefdoms can also spam fight four warriors, the banner essentially made the army fight five. And it was just, it was, it was just uh, scary <laughs> Certain warriors in the fiefdoms got up to fight six uh, because of um, Immerhill's fight value buff. So he can synergize with fiefdoms really well, too, at high points. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do with this profile. 
at the end of the day, I'm still going to give him a really high score because I think he's really reliable, really great for his points. And without him, Minas Tirith is already a really competitive army. And he just one way to play Minas Tirith, but it's so reliable. And I just like playing Bormir the Banner in a Minas Tirith list so much. So I think I'm going to go with a nine for this profile. Uh, nine with the Banner. Without the Banner, it would be a lot lower. But I think that is the ideal way to play it. So I'm just going to give it the rating, uh, assuming that he takes the Banner of Minas Tirith. So I got a question for you guys. Do you guys think this is the best banner in the game or if not what is what is better i would struggle to find a better one i guess you could argue before gambling before the nerf but yeah there's no chance now yeah i don't think so now see the other one that's comparable to this is bard's better effect but my biggest things with that is even though it can get to a bigger range is it's an effect, so it's not an actual banner, so you don't get points for it. And on the troops that Bard's thing is buffing, yeah, it gives plus one fight value, but you're putting it on troops that go from two to three. It's not going to help you in a lot of matches, right? Because most people get fight four in their armies. Whereas in this list, you're going up, bringing you guys to fight four or to fight five, or in like Charles's case, like fight six. Like that's that's crazy. So I feel like you get a lot more value out of the the fight value boost in this list, like list that he's going to be in. The upside um, of a banner effect, though, is that it's still in effect when your hero is prone. That's true. Uh, okay, so maybe maybe the Emerhill one is better, but that's not on him, really. Right? That's Is that on him, or is that on the troops? It, I always forget. So the only Knights of Dalamroth get the plus one fight, and then all your fiefdom troops get the 12-inch banner effect. It's the Knight of Dalamroth and the Men-at-Arms. And the, the Men-at-Arms, And yeah. the Men-at-Arms, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the captains. Maybe. I still think this yeah, one's the better. Uh, the Emerhill one does give like a really good go, just because it's way more like points efficient. Oh, the Even Star is also in contention. I think it's also six inches, and everyone gets fearless. Yeah, but that one's way harder to include, right? It's way harder to ally that one in, or to get it into lists where you. Can... Yeah, Halbrad is a pure fortitude. So that's why. Yeah. So then you have to bring Aragorn or Arathorn to babysit them. So. Yeah, you're spending a lot more to put that list in than you would for Boromir. You guys know what I mean. Like, to be able to just bring that banner in, you have to spend a lot more than just Halbrad. So. Well, then it's also just, like, points that can't lead troops, too, right? They don't have warband slots, whereas this guy has 15 warband slots. So, yeah. I mean, it's certainly up for debate, but I would say, yeah. Tentatively, this is the best banner in the game. Okay, so I agree with that. I, I think it's one of the best war gear for sure. I think we went over all his great points. It's sad that he loses the march compared to Boromir of Gondor, but I mean, if you're comparing him to any other big fighty hero, most don't have the march. So he's really solid. And like Charles said, don't go anywhere without the banner. I still give him a 9. Yeah, I mean, he's an expensive option. You're probably looking at... I mean, you are usually looking at over 200 points. So you still have to kind of crunch some numbers to make sure that you get the most out of the rest of the list. But aside from that, he has the 3 fate, which makes him really difficult to bring down. 
everything that I've already listed about Boromir of Gondor and everything we've talked about for the last half hour, yeah, I think the only knock I'm going to give him is the expense. I'll say 9.5. So the only time I've run him in a tournament, I ran him with the banner and the shield on foot because I just didn't own the mounted model. And he still performed amazingly well in like all the games that I took him in. So yeah, I, I, I don't think I could give him less than a 9. Oh, is it 9.5? I'm going to say nine, but it's like, it's so close to being higher. His cost is just, it's a lot. And then it is kind of hard to build around. Like you guys have said, like at lower points, it's difficult. So it's not like an auto take, but like he's almost an auto take. (laughs) Just curious what you guys think of uh, the Lance option. So horse and Lance at 175 points. It's not even close to the banner option. I, I'm just thinking, you know, hypothetically, I, I, th- I think it's still a big hero, beefy hero with a six might, but you don't feel like he's the centerpiece of your army a lot of the time. So before the black dart FAQ thing with Gandalf, Shadowfax, horse or whatever, so you can black, just black dart horses away, I would say there was like a chance and I did kind of consider it. Like I thought about it a bit. But now that you can just lose horses like that another way so quickly, I, I think probably not. Because at least, like I said, like if, if if he's on foot with the banner, he's still doing a lot for your army. If he's on foot without the banner, you're paying a lot of points for somebody who who's going to struggle to make him back. Yeah, I've, I've got to agree with that analysis. And I, I also just think that if you're bringing this profile at the base cost that it is, you're probably going all in on either on Minas Tirith or on some kind of Gondor alliance as it is. So I don't really see a situation where you're not benefited by taking the banner. Still a strong hitter, but very, very expensive and a lot easier to kind of shut in somewhere. So I'd say you probably want the banner every time if you're taking this profile. I kind of want to give a separate rating for him. I was thinking like a like a uh, six, maybe a seven. That's like a where seven. I was I was sitting yeah. as well, yeah, because like he's still gonna be very good, right? Looking at the profile, he's got six might, he's got the lance on the charge. Assuming his horse doesn't die before combat, let's say he's doing four heroic combats in the game, and he's using the other two might to boost rolls to win fights or whatever. How much damage can you do with that? You can do a lot of damage, but then after that. I don't know what's going to happen. And that's also assuming he's not getting shut down by heroes and whatever, right? So I there's definitely a composition where that works. I don't know how viable it is. I would still put him up at like, yeah, maybe a 6.5. Because he's going to do one thing really, really well. But it's just that one thing, and he's paying a lot of points for it. Okay. All right. Let's move on to some army lists with Bormir. So today we have two army lists with Bormir of Gondor and two army lists with Bormir of Captain White Tower. So we'll start with Richard's list, which is um, a list with Bormir of Gondor at 600 points. Okay, so I took the Legendary Legion from the new book, Quest of the Ringbearer, The Breaking of the Fellowship. There's so many choices to go from. Couldn't really decide, but... Um, after shopping around, I decided to take everything. So, 
I'll take your entire stock. So, <laughs> well, to, to be fair, you can run this at 500 points. True. Then you actually have to make decisions. So I'd rather then, not. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the decision is, do you take Gamely or do you take Boromir? And I think usually you take Boromir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think we uh, briefly went over this Legendary Legion way back in one of our first few episodes. So the list is basically just Aragorn, Strider, Legolas, Greenleaf, Gimli, Son of Glowin, Boromir of Gondor can just have the shield, Frodo, Baggins with Mithril, Co and Sting, Samwise, Gamgee, Meriadoc, Brandybuck, and Peregrine, Took. And then a few of the additional rules to this is that Aragorn, Strider has to be the army leader, and this whole list is a single warband, and all these models get Elven Cloak for free. And then they each have a couple of special rules to kind of buff them a bit more. I won't go through them individually. You can go back to our episode to listen to that more in depth, but essentially... You get some blinding light and you get like reroll options. They all have fortify spirit and they still keep the same army bonus as the original fellowship where when Frodo is still alive, you can't be broken essentially. So, and um, everyone is fearless. So I actually think this uh, legion has some potential at this low amount of points, even without Gandalf you get kind of a cheap version of Blinding Light with Frodo. And also, the original Fellowship Army and most hero armies struggle with not having a banner in the army list. But this one, as long as you have models close to each other, you're always going to get the reroll. And with some high fight models, I think it's extremely strong. You're going to really struggle losing fights. And... Yeah, I, I just think that it has a lot of potential. Yeah, because then you have Sam as well to get additional hero combats. Like, not that you need more money. Well, what do you guys think? I guess it's kind of like a re-review of this Legion. I mean, if, if you're going to play Fellowship, just spare yourself the pain of trying to run it at 800 points with Gandalf and just run it <laughs> at 600 with this, and I think you'll have a lot more fun. And you'll probably win a lot more games than, than you'd expect, too. Like, yeah, yeah, and, and and I guess the one big thing is that this Legion, you have to play with all the heroes on foot, which, personally, it's hard for me to do, but it's actually worth it with all these synergies that are built into the list. Yeah, for sure. Like, like you're saying, like you get all these extra special rules... And then you still have all, like, the small little ones, like, that, that, that the Fellowship comes with as a base. Like, Legolas and Gimli competing with each other, and then the one that you mentioned with Frodo and Sam, where you can get free Hurl Combats, too. So, it's... I, I like it. I think I think you're going to have fun with it, and you'll, you'll do pretty decent with it in a, in a tournament at 600. Because, like, at the very least, it's going to be hard for any kind of list to, like, try and overcome Aragorn, Boromir, and Gimli fighting in combat. And then you have, like, all these other support pieces doing things to help out. And, yeah, the banner rerolls and just, yeah. It's good. I like how they give you the option to not take a shield with Boromir for, like, thematic reasons. But then the thing is, you'll go down to 595 points. And do you want to go under points to just to be thematic? <laughs> Some people... 
would, but not us. <laughs> well, I guess if you want to play it at like 500, then maybe. I don't know. I, you always would probably take the shield, though. I feel like the mobility of this list is understated, too, even without mounted heroes. Because we have Bormir's six might with heroic march and then we also have aragorn's free might with heroic march so i think you can't even dock marks off there yeah 600 points this this entire list might as well be called the might train because between boromir and aragorn with a free might point every turn it's just like yeah you're gonna get to do whatever you want you're gonna get heroic moves heroic marches combats with Sam, which, I mean, doesn't sound like a ton, but I'm sure it's going to happen at least a few times. And then Gimli, Gimli's special rule here, may re-roll all dice in a dual roll up to three times. I mean, you know, he only has move five, but that's got to be at least a few heroic combats. Any time that you think you might have lost, you just re-roll the dice and get a six. So that plus the synergy with Legless, yeah. There's just synergies all over the place. You actually have to, like, print off a chart and take it with you to the game because there's so many synergies and rules. It's insane. Not to mention the shooting. <laughs> You're going to have three shots a turn, but they're basically going to be three hits a turn. <laughs> yeah, because you get a reroll. A question about the Blinding Light says that each turn, Frodo may use a single free will to attempt to cast the Blinding Light magical power. Do you guys think that he can use his will store to add to it? Because if he can't, the three plus, it's only decently reliable to get it off, right? If he only has one dice to attempt it every turn, that's like a third of the turns of the game you won't have blinding light up. Yeah, I don't think you can use additional will. So it's not as consistent as a normal blinding light. But I think Frodo's use in the game is uh, more so like the army bonus and he, he has the one ring effect. I think this army is actually with straight counter one of those like with one big ultra hero and with like filled out troops. Like you sometimes see like a, a Dane Iron Foot with a full warband of Iron Hill Warriors or like a Gilglad or something. I think those lists would really, really fear this Legion because it would just be really, really tough to outfight so many heroes and you have the ring effect. To be fair, I think at 600 points, considering you can essentially max out this Legion at that points level, I think most lists are going to have a really hard time competing with it. Normally you're like, oh, at this level, I don't think they're going to be able to compete with uh, three pretty strong heroes like this, and then instead you just take a warband of eight guys with special rules all over the place, and you know, three or four of them are really strong in combat. Yeah, I think it's going to be really difficult, especially at the low model count, too. Breaking them is not easy. All right, I'm just going to give my rating, and I think it's a rating for your list and it's a rating for the Legion. Um, so Alex brought up the point that it's going to be hard to break, but I actually think that's their main weakness because they have eight models, so they break at five. We know that the four Hobbits are probably the easiest targets, and I think there is one more target that stands out here, and that is that... Legless cannot take armor, right? So he's a defense four. And uh, I think being an all-hero list, you will get outnumbered in most games, and he can go down once the combats are all engaged and, and he's fighting outnumbered. If he loses a fight, you know, most warriors can wound him on a five or a four. 
So I think that's something that you have to watch out for, even though they will be really consistent in combat because they all get the banner effect. Breaking is something that you'll have to worry about. Because once Frodo goes down, your never count as broken rule is gone. So, you know... But, But the thing is, killing Frodo is not an easy task. Yeah, I don't think he, I think he's going to be one of the ones to go down later in the game. I think you'll probably lose Merry and Pippin and Sam and then Legolas first, and then probably one of the combat heroes before Frodo gets in trouble. Just because he's going to be that, hanging out true. around the back for unless he's that, trying that's to, like, true, that's true. But effect. if you're using him for the ring, then he won't be hidden necessarily. I but. yeah, but like it's pretty easy. Like you bring him out to fight that one big hero with one of your guys, and then as soon as you can, you're gonna you're gonna jump him away, right? Because you're gonna be calling heroic moves basically every turn with this list if you have to. So yeah, I I don't know. I think this list will excel in a lot of scenarios. Definitely the the killing ones and uh, maelstrom too, because they all deploy together. But for the ones that where they have to split up, like divide and conquer, certain objective grabbing ones. It might be a little more challenging, but I would say the majority of scenarios, they'll, they'll be pretty good. So I'd probably give it a, a Hero of Valor. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Actually, I think this is a Hero of Legend. Just thinking that it's at 600 points, that's actually really hard to deal with. Even though, you know, th- there will be certain games where I just feel like you're fighting an uphill battle. But I'm in my mind... I'm thinking that those situations are more rare than the ones where you're going to be finding yourself having a, a really easy time and just all the rerolls, which is the main weakness of all hero armies is that if they flop a roll, a hero can die. But since they all get rerolls, it seems to kind of negate that weakness of an all hero army. So I'll give this a hero legend. I would like to see it on a table someday. Yeah. I mean, obviously if, if Frodo gets exposed if he's not insulated properly and he gets brought down, then then you can talk about being in trouble. But if he's well insulated, he's well protected, you want to use him for his ring effect, but I, I think you've got to do that selectively. You've got to wait until the right time in the game. I think you've got to take down a big target first before you think about that. But even if you lose all the hobbits, you're going to have like three, maybe four heroes that are just cutting through troops like a hot knife through butter and it's at 600 points it's i really do believe it's nearly impossible to deal with if this was an 800 point list we'd have a different discussion but at 600 points most people either have quite a good number of troops but troops can't really deal with a list like this unless they're really elite troops or they have a couple of big heroes but you then don't have that many troops and I think it wins those kind of matchups, and I'm gonna also give it uh, a legend. You guys are really catching me off guard here. I was like, I'm like between a fortitude and a, and a valor, and you guys are like legends. I okay, I, I'm gonna say a valor. I over a fortitude for this. I am still concerned about their ability to get around to objective base in objective based scenarios, because like. Yeah, you just you have weaker models. Your mobility isn't great because you're on foot. Like it's not bad because you have a lot of marches, but like half of your army is move four, right? So it, uh, yeah, I, I'll leave it out of valor. I still think it's definitely gonna do well and it's gonna you're gonna win games, but it's not like it's not like a world beater at 600. Okay, so the next list we'll be reviewing will be Ian's list, which is a 
600-point list with Bormir, Captain of the White Tower. Okay. So, as per my trend the past five-ish, seven-ish episodes, I went for something unique. And I have included a profile in this list that we have all said rude things about in our profile analysis of it. Um, and that is Osgiliath Veterans. So, okay, I, I'll, just, I'll just talk about them a little bit before I get into the list. So I went heavy with Osgiliath Vets in this list, and I think that's the way you want to run them because then you're actually maximizing what they're good at, which is just being point-sufficient troops because they can get to, like, that Fight 5, Courage 5 in a peer list, D6. So they, they basically become elves for cheaper than elf price. Obviously, they have to be closer to the heroes and stuff, but that's where you're getting the most value out of them, so you can get more guys in there and more troops. So that's the reason I went heavy with uh, the vets in this list, and I think that's the way you're going to have to do it if you're going to run a vet list. That being said, I wrote out a similar list at 600 points without any vets, just doing a different kind of version of this list, and I think it might be better, but I still kind of like this one. I think it's... I think it's decent. It has some legs to stand on. Anyway, so the list is uh, Boromir with the the banner, shield, and horse. So he's all kitted out, ready to lead the troops. And in his warband, he has eight Osgiliath veterans with shield, five Osgiliath veterans with spear and shield, and two knights of Ministerial with shield. So he's got a full warband. My second uh, warband is Faramir. He has the heavy armor, the shield, the lance, and the horse. So he's also kitted out for big killiness in combat, like shock combat, uh, hero shock. That's the word I'm looking for, with that kind of tactic. In his warband, he has five of Osgiliath vets with shield, five in Rangers of Gondor, and five in Rangers of Gondor with spear. So yeah, Farmir's warband is full as well. So that comes to 32 models, which would be 17 dead to break. Um, I have nine might, and... 10 bows. So basically this this kind of just highlights what I was saying. So the vets with the shield, they're at nine points. But when they're within six inches of Boromir, they go up to fight value five because they have their special rule and the banner special rule stack on top of each other. That's just cheap, good fight five troops. And then same thing kind of with Faramir. They go up to fight four when they're within six inches of him. So it becomes a quite high fight value army in this kind of list. And decent numbers, I think, considering I have Big Bad Boromir all kitted out and Faramir all kitted out. Those, those are two very solid, uh, like, like Boromir is a very solid high tier hero. Uh, Faramir is a very solid supporting combat hero. And yeah, I think the mobility isn't too bad. I don't have a heroic march in the list, but I have the two mounted heroes who can do plenty of heroic combat because they have plenty of might. And I have two knights. So mobility isn't terrible. Shooting is there if you need it. Overall, average defense is pretty good because all the vets are defense six and the knights are defense six. So I know you guys aren't going to love this. If I can get a round of fortitudes, I'm going to be happy and move on with my life. But I do think this does have some legs to stand on in this kind of a build. What do, what do you guys think? Can I talk about how, how nicely well-rounded the list is? Because... <laughs> Because I'm liking the fact you got decent amount of shooting, got two really good quality mounted heroes, you got two knights. Defense is solid with the Osgiliath vets 
you know, you get all the stacking fight value, so you get decent fight value. I'll let the other guys give some input because I'm I'm a little torn. I I'd like to hear some other points, but I mean, with all the the stacking bonuses, getting them up to fight five, you know, the strength three would be a problem. Strength three is an issue here, but again. You know, I think you can get Faramir and Boromir to do a lot of the the actual offensive hitting. I just kind of worry that the troops won't really do much. They'll kind of sit there and play defense until either Boromir and Faramir win the game, or they all die off and break and run all over the place. And then Denethor would have to eat cherry tomatoes in a very sad little room. Well, that's kind of the strategy of any Minas Tirith list, right? They're all strength three. And the, the strategy is for the warriors to hold the line while the heroes do damage. So you basically just described most Minas Tirith lists. I don't think that's the main criticism. The main criticism here is that veterans are not points efficient. And that's why um, he was in our trash unit, trash warrior list for that one open topic in episode 10. Because you're paying a point for courage and they lose shield wall. I think if you wanted to run a vets list, this is probably the way to do it at lower points. That way it's fine to skip the heroic march, and at lower points, it's like Ian said in another episode, fight four is a lot better at lower points. So for whatever models are not in the banner bubble in our fight four, it's a little bit more, um, you're less penalized for it. I don't know, I think veterans are fine if you're playing like strength three armies, so this might do better against good armies. But against uh, evil forces, there's a lot more strength four. They'll knock out your rangers faster as well with strength four. But yeah, I, I like it overall. I just don't think that it's super competitive. A veteran with a shield at nine points, you either, yeah, I would say that a regular warrior, or if you pay a little more and get a fountain core guard, either of those things are probably better than what a veteran can bring. But it's still pretty solid. I'd probably give this a Valor. I think I would give it a Fortitude normally, but because you picked a lower point value and a good uh, selection of heroes, I think I can give this like a like a low end valor. Like I can see it win a tournament potentially if the scenarios and the, your opponents line up right. But it definitely is not the most efficient. I think it has the potential, but not the greatest uh, way to to build Gondor. Episode twenty six. Osgiliath vets are okay, Charles. <laughs> Honestly, I that's like way better than I thought I was gonna get from Charles. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, trying to build a list with Osgiliath events is like asking someone to cook a gourmet meal with leftovers. And I think what you've done here is a decent job. Like, it doesn't smell too bad. You know, like, you it's, say, it's edible. Like, uh, with an easy bake oven. <laughs> <laughs> you could go that route, too. Yeah. I think I'm going to echo what kind of Charles said. Like, this was pretty well done considering using the vets. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think the vets are, like, terrible. Because even if they're one point overcosted, you have, you know, like, almost 20 here, 15 to 20. So you might be overpaying maybe that amount of points. But it just means that if you built a hyper-efficient list, maybe you'd be able to squeeze like two more models out of it points wise because i guess i would say there's some overlap where in a normal minister list the rangers 
would already go up to fight five. So it's just kind of redundant. And Rangers, we know, are like a great, efficient warrior model already. So adding the Gildia vet for the fight five, it's kind of like, eh, like, you know, I don't think it adds too much. But at the end of the day, like this list is about Boromir and Faramir carrying you at 600 points. So, yeah, I, I was kind of struggling with like a Fortitude or a Valor as well. I, I would lean towards probably like a strong Fortitude. I really wish they made a Legendary Legion for this. Just a, a couple minor special rules, and I think it could be a lot of fun and maybe even competitive. Yeah, I really I really like the models that they made for, for the veterans themselves. Yeah. I think they're actually really, really nice looking. In fact, I, yeah. I, I would go so far as to say I would make one change to this list, and that would be uh, swapping out one of the rangers with spear for one of the Osgiliath Osgilia veteran model with bow, just because he's pretty. <laughs> yeah. So I think where my criticism is really after kind of rethinking why I'm worried about the strength three and having all your troops essentially just kind of trying to play defense until they die while your heroes carry you. Like Charles said, this is kind of the point of just about every Minas Tirith army, so that's kind of standard. I think what worries me the most is that with the other troop options available in Minas Tirith, typically that's the strategy, but they have higher defense. They have defense six, they have fight force support somewhere, they'll have shield wall, and there will be a little bit more longevity to it. With the vets, with the shield, sure, they're defense six. But anything that doesn't have a shield is going to be more like four or five, and it'll go down a bit quicker. You've done very well for an army based on Osgiliath Vets. You can hang your hat on the fact that Charles just said Osgiliath Vets are okay. Like, that's that's one of the best ratings you can possibly get, considering what we said about them in episode 10. Uh, that aside, I do like the decent model count and you have two very strong heroes and for all of that i'm going to give you a low valor that went remarkably better than i thought it was going to do thank you sirs moving on <laughs> the next list will be alexander's 700 point list with bormir of gondor i'm ready to get hurt again so I built a list that had some similarities to this last week, and Charles was not happy with me. He wasn't pleased, and I turned around and I said, I'm going to do it again. So, uh, my list today is a 700-point historical alliance between Lothlorien, Rivendell, and I have Boromir of Gondor from the Fellowship list in there as well. So I have Haldir, He's, of course, kitted out with the armor and the bow. Or actually, is it just the armor? What is it? No, it's just the armor. He has armor. He has four Galadrim warriors with shield, two with shield and spear, one with shield, spear, and banner, two guard of the Galadrim court, three Galadrim warrior with elf bow, two Galadrim knights with shield and elf bow, high elf captain, with horse, shield, and lance, three high elf warriors with shield, two with shield and spear, and two with elf bow, Kirdan, two high elf warriors with shield, two with shield and spear, two with elf bow, and Bormir of Gondor with horse and shield. 
That's uh, 700 points, 31 models total, break at 16, 9 bows, and 12 might. And who's your leader? Uh, Haldir. So the mentality I have around this, similar to the list I actually brought in the last episode, Haldir is my leader because he is defense 6, so he's solid. I can kind of protect him a little bit. He can fight when he has to. I don't have to have him fighting constantly. He does have heroic strike, so he's one of the two heroic strikes that I put into this list. And essentially, he also gives me the ability to lead a bunch of troops at a reasonable cost. I originally wanted to make this list just with Rivendell, but I found that getting a decent amount of might and heroes and different options in there with the troops was a bit more difficult. So he's essentially the compromise in the middle to get the strike and a whole bunch of troops in there. He brings, you know, very much the same as what they would bring in Rivendell. High fight, decent defense with the defense six, whole bunch of elf bows, which is solid. He does bring the two uh, guard of the Galadrim court. I think we can all agree are very, very solid troop options to kind of sprinkle in there here and there. Being able to get up to fight six and support uh, when you're fighting a mid-tier fight five hero of some sort. Or another fight six hero that doesn't have strike, like a dwarf king, for instance. Uh, They also bring extra mobility with the Gladrum knights that can also shoot. So they can be very pesky around the sides, taking objectives, um, just moving to get in the way of things and, and to really push the pace on your opponent. High Elf Captain with the the horse, the shield, and the lance, just because I love this profile. I know that Boromir of Gondor has march, but it's something that I do like having another option to march, just so that Boromir doesn't have to spend his might points on that. He's also pretty competent offensively with the lance and being mounted. It's another mounted hero there that can move around a lot at fight six, can hit pretty well against troops. You know, he can hit other fight five troops or fight five heroes. You know, he's also just one of those characters where I especially like it paired with Kirdan because Kirdan, I get the blinding light. I get the courage shenanigans on both sides of the die there. I get to both boost my own troops' ability to fight against terror-causing things, but also the ability to cause terror. And, of course, Enchanted Blades, as if Boromir of Gondor wasn't scary enough offensively. Uh, the ability to get him to reroll all failed wound rolls is devastating. You can also cast it on the High Elf Captain. The High Elf Captain, of course, would make him quite offensively capable. Pretty decent number of elf bows to sit back and shoot. And then, of course, Boromir. We've just talked about Boromir. Offensive dynamo everywhere. You know, he brings what the high, what the high elves don't, which is just explosive offensive capability. So I like this list because I can sit back and shoot a bit. I have the mobility to move around. I have the offensive capability and the fight value. Model count is a little bit low, but I think this is pretty standard for one of the elf lists. So all in all, I'm pretty happy with the overall balance. What do you guys think? Alex. Alex. Where do I start? Do you not see how much it pains Ian to see Haldir with no bow? He is physically hurting right now. 
Okay. I, yeah. I so ran. I, I, just, I ran out of the. I. It. It came down to a points issue, and I it's had. It's not to, a points. Sorry. <laughs> Baby, you're at 31 models. You can drop a model. It won't change your breakpoint. You can drop an elf. You can give Haldir the bow, and the cloak, and it makes him way safer. And then it means you're not wasting points because you're paying for his special rule where you can shoot the bow twice. That's like my biggest criticism of the whole list. Two shots for five points is a great deal. Oh god, and you're right. Elven cloak, so he's more protected if he's going to be your leader, which I don't mind him being the leader because the other option is Bormir, but the, you got to give him the cloak. But like the thing is, like, why Haldir if you're not going to take the bow? Like, you can take Rumil here, who is a much better leader. He's D7, has heroic defense, has a shield so he can shield, and he has a special rule where he parries. I don't know. I guess if you really, really like the strength for hand grenade when you die. But, you know, you got to sacrifice your leader for that to activate. If he took Rumil, then Boromir would have to be the leader. Which you can argue right now, Boromir is more survivable than Haldir. Because he doesn't have the fate, but he has one more wound and he has a shield. So I, I would argue that right now, Boromir might be a better pick to be the leader. And he has Possibly. defense too, doesn't he? He has defense he has too, defense yeah. too. Obviously, so, you would play it differently. You wouldn't just but, throw Boromir in, but I think I, he might be more survivable. I think he is more survivable, but I like the idea of him just being the grenade and going out and doing the fighting and stuff, along with, like, side the, the captain who can hit really hard. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just this, like, hero mishmash is not doing it for me. Like, I think we just talked about earlier with Boromir of Gondor, with the Six Might in Heroic March, it it kind of takes away from the need to, you know, take a captain. Because I feel like in this game right now, in in its current edition, like, it's like a captain tax. You take the captain for the heroic march, because otherwise most named heroes are usually better. So Bormir allows you to evade that captain tax. So Normally I agree with you, Richard. I, in this case, I, I kind of get the captain. Because I think you want to have Kierden in the list, right? Like, Kierden's mm -hmm. good. He adds a lot to it. So then you need to have a hero of fortitude to babysit him. Mm -hmm. And I guess your only other option that kind of fits in at that points level is Aristor. But he doesn't hit nearly as hard. So it's kind of like, if you want the extra strike in the list, you can go Aristor. But then you're losing, I feel like, a lot of hitting power. So I, I don't know. It depends on if ring rates are big in your meta. I actually don't think Kyrdan's an auto-include anymore after the nerf, because being a minor hero, only six models in his warband makes him really scary in Maelstrom, unless you deploy him first. Like, he's still really good, but I don't I don't think that's the best way to play high elves anymore, in my opinion. I don't think you need him in every army, and it's not necessarily an auto-include. For me, the captain is just always the value pick. It's not just for the march, but because of what I think he can do, especially being paired with Kyrdan. I like that pick particularly. There are other ways to go about it, obviously. Like, I could have taken Rumel. Obviously, with what you guys have said, you're probably right. Why was I not paying any attention to that special rule? Typically, yeah, I think you're right. I would drop the one elf to give Haldir those points. I think it's a bit of a toss-up with Rumel. I'm not really arguing that you have to take Rumel. I, I guess what I'm struggling to understand is what allying Rivendell and Lothlorien? Uh, so I'm not saying the Elf Captain is bad or Haldir is bad. I guess it's just this kind of synergy. I feel like you go one or the other 
because if you go full Rivendell, that allows you to drop the 100-point captain. You can go Glorfindel. You could go the Twins for more hitting power might. There's more options there. Or if you want to go the Lothlorien route, then you can do that as well. Um, I, I guess I'm not seeing really the benefit in allying both Elven factions. I think what I went for was because when I tried to put the Twins or Glorfindel in there with Boromir, I just constantly came up feeling like the troop count was too low. I kept coming up feeling like there was something missing there where I was putting too much into Glorfindel and Boromir because I did put that list together. I also put together a list with the twins, but it came up really low on the uh, troop count. And maybe that's because I wanted to put Kirdan in there. And that's where Kirdan stops being something that you really include, as Charles talked about with the nerf. Maybe that's where I'm drawing the issue, is trying to put Kirdan in that list when I should be putting a captain in or something that can lead more troops. But for me, it was a troop issue in the end. So I, I think there is actually a build here in these factions, right? This is kind of like one of the the ones that nobody really pays attention to, but where you actually have three factions that are all green allied together. Right, but you just you don't you don't really see them all all done together. So I think there's definitely a build here. You have a solid base idea, but I agree with the guys like this might not be the way to execute it, right? Because usually if you're gonna start with the high elves, you're gonna go and grab one of the bigger heroes, or you could go the Kieran way, which you went. But I don't know, we'll see. But then you you kind of you jump over to Lothlorien so you can get Haldir or Rumil, who are kind of just you know in that 80 85 point range but they still bring you three might and like solid fight six and they can give you 12 or 15 troops, right? That's something that, that Rivendell doesn't really have a lot of. And then you kind of grab Boromir. So I feel like you could do a decent build maybe with like Glorfindel, Haldir, and Boromir, and you could still get decent numbers, like up to 30, like you kind of want. Okay, then I, I do have one question for you guys then. Because I think the biggest issue with my list building, especially with this particular alliance, the Fellowship, Lothlorien Rivendell Alliance, the biggest issue I think ultimately hinges on the Kirdan pick. Because then if I take Kirdan out and put in Glorfindel and I remove the captain at that point, then I start getting the ability to take another bigger hero. I get my might in, I get a decent troop count. I think Kirdan perhaps is maybe the hinge that's holding the army back because of only having the six troop slots. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Kirdan is just tougher now in a three-way alliance. Him being a minor hero really, really hurts his ability. So, yeah, so I, I think if you do want to run Kirdan, I think it's generally easier if you do a maximum two-army alliance. It, it just, I feel like the math works out better there. Yeah, I think it'd be probably squeeze in better just if you just jumped over with just Lothlorien or if you just went the High Elves and Numenor route. I feel like the High Elves, like Kieran slots into Numenor lists better than he does into these other ones right now, just at a quick glance. Okay, so where am I sitting at? I don't feel comfortable with Haldir being the leader in a 700-point list. I'm, I'm sorry, Alex. Uh, it scares me a little bit. <laughs> And yeah, but uh, I, I think if he had a bow, it'd be fine. Yeah. And maybe well, he could do the same thing. He just he would be sitting back without shoot, the shooting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, oh, I really wanted to like this list, 
Yeah, I'm I'm gonna say um, I'm gonna say minor hero for this one, just because your your numbers are also a little bit low. I think if it, it was the way it is now, and then it was closer to like 35, 36, I'd be a little bit more comfortable. But as it is now, it is kind of small, and then you also have a really small leader, really fragile leader. So I think this could easily be bumped up to a fortitude with a couple changes. Uh, but that's kind of how I feel right now. I somehow came out worse than last week. I don't know how I did it, but I came out worse than last week. If you drop that one elf and give Haldir the bow and the cloak, it's a fortitude for me. If you don't, then I can agree with Charles. You summed it up perfectly. It's honestly huge for me. Um, Like I said earlier, I still think there's a really good base concept here. Um, And... I get the idea you're going for. I think it needs a bit more tuning, but there's something there for sure. I say that a lot about your list, so I'm, I'm thinking right now. <laughs> I've said that like four or five times. <laughs> a lot of my mediocre lists are like somewhere in the range of being somewhere that could really turn into something, but not there. All right, Alex, I'll um, I'll just give you the hat trick. You know, the the triple here, minor hero. <laughs> Ah, oh. hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> it is a gift, Alex. I'm not using this one. <laughs> this is not a gift I'm willing to use. One does not simply create a list that gets all minor heroes. <laughs> it it takes it takes a lot of taking a good concept and letting it fall through the cracks to do that. Not with ten thousand tries could you do this. <laughs> And the final list of the day will be my own list, which is a list with Bormir, Captain of the White Tower at 800 points. So um, I want to do something different that I've never run before with Bormir, and that is an all-mounted list. As Ian mentioned before, Bormir is kind of what makes Knights of Minas Tirith viable in the list, so that you're not stuck with Fight 3 Cavalry. But I didn't want to do an all-knights list just because they still have certain weaknesses you know they're decent but they're not great and so i looked to one of the best cavalry options in the game which is the knights of rivendell so my list is bormir captain of the white tower with horse shield and banner leading four knights of Minas Tirith with shields and one citadel guard and the second warband is elrond master of rivendell with heavy armor and horse and he's leading 15 rivendell knights with shields so it comes to 800 points 22 models, and 9 might. The idea of this list is to combine the strengths of Rivendell Cavalry with the strengths of what Bormir brings. So Bormir brings the 6-inch banner, which is huge in an all-mounted army. With 6 inches of re-rolling on each side, he should be able to get, I believe, at least 3 models in a battle line. And Rivendell Knights being a unit that needs to win the fight, as well as the Knight of Miz Tirith, since they're both expensive cavalry models with lances that you want them to win fights. The reroll is really important. Elrond is a good combination because, first of all, he's the hero that you need to allow you to take all Rivendell Knights because he allows your knights to ignore the bow limit. His foresight ability also helps a bit. Since you, you're all cavalists, you want to win a lot of heroic moves. And he can kind of give you a couple more priorities to force your enemy to burn might on heroic moves. So that's kind of nice. At 22 models, it is low even for a cavalry force. I believe if you take like a 
like a Rohan all-mounted, you probably, you're closer to 30 models in a standard all-mounted Rohan, so it is a bit lower. But Bormir and Elrond are both really solid heroes that can hold their own. So I think if if you can get a few like nice chain hero combats and take out like the the enemy's threats early on, you know, it, it might be okay. Plus, it has a decent amount of shooting for an all-cav list. You have 15 elf bows with Bormir's access to Heroic March. So typically, in an all-mounted army, you'll, you'll want to try to sneak a captain there. But in this case, you don't have to worry about that. No Heroic March. Sorry, buddy, you didn't get the 10 out of 10 Boromir. Yeah, so no Heroic March. Your shooting is not too bad, so I, I don't know in how many situations you'll need to march. But yeah, that's that's another thing that it doesn't have. The one Citadel Guard on foot is kind of just the 10 points that I had left over. He'll probably just run to, you know, objectives and stuff like that. Kind of have a model in the back that your enemy might forget about, and you just grab a couple objectives here and there. Um, But yeah, that's about it. When your whole army orders horses, but yours ends up on back order. Just sad. Feel bad for him. It's okay. He's he's bodyguard. He's fine. He doesn't get sad. I think um, what we were talking about before, I think this is a really fun list, but the one like small thing that sticks out right away is the Citadel Guard. I think if you put a bow on him, I think he adds a lot of utility. If he's just going to be standing on objective somewhere, like take a shield off one of the Knights of Minas Tirith. But I think overall, I like the list. I guess I was just thinking, because the standard way to play Rivendell Knights, you usually add like a Gandalf or like a Kyrdan for like the blinding light. So since you're missing out on that, I feel like your army is more a bit more combat oriented. Because if you do come up against a really shooty army, you don't really want to get in, into a shooting war with them because your your uh, archers are so much more expensive. So I. I like this, but I'm wondering if it would be better if you went the opposite route and a little bit more heavy on the Knights of Minas Tirith rather than Rivendell Knights, giving you a higher model count, probably closer to 30. And you would be more focused on running in and Elrond calling the Wrath of Brun in and, and charging in and just ripping through with the heroic combats and, and less reliant on the harass style from the Rivendell Knights. Yeah, I think if you went more heavy on the Knights of Minas Tirith, then it would essentially become like a fight four army instead of a fight five. And I had considered that. I don't, obviously this is untested, so I don't know if that would be better. It would be worth the consideration because um, in terms of like tankiness, the Knights of Minas Tirith are still defense six. So you're just getting more bodies in there. Yeah, and like, I know they're one less fight, but they still have the lances as well. So, yeah, they're they're almost as killy in combat for almost ten points less. Yeah, what's the what would the swapping be though? Like, what's the lowest common denominator between twenty two and fourteen? <laughs> I don't know. Anybody know? <laughs> but like, yeah, that is a good shout out though, because then gives you're making more use out of the the Boromir banner anyway. I mean. Not that you're not getting a really good use out of it anyway, just by having a six-inch banner in the, in the cavalry force. That being said, I do like the idea of a lot of like high fight value, heavy, like lanced-up cavalry. 
which is basically what the list is. And I I like the idea. And then, yeah, you got a good number of might in there. You got nine might plus the um, the foresight points from Elrond. So you should be getting the charge a decent amount of the time. You're about 26 models if you go Boromir with 15 knights. So if you go Boromir with 15 knights, it would be Elrond with six knights and one warrior on foot. Mm. So it'd be four more models. A little boost in numbers. I don't know if that's worth it. If that's, I think it'd be better to stay with the elves. Because you're going to have to have guys separating off to go on objectives too, right? And I think I'd rather have a Courage 5 elf with a bow than a Courage 3 knight who's not going to be doing anything once he gets to the objective. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this would definitely just be a really high skill floor army and probably a high ceiling as well. We'll take some practice and finesse. But I think it does have a lot of potential. I would give this a Valor. The closest comparison I see would give me any concern is what I see happen with all-mounted Rohan, uh, where you when you charge in, it's great. But when you don't get the charge, you get a bit of trouble pretty quickly. Of course, you have the higher fight value. You have the lances. So you're going to do a fair bit of damage when that happens. I worry mostly about the troop count, just because at 22, if you get unlucky with your opponent's shooting and he either creates a lot of casualties or if he just knocks off a lot of horses and you end up with expensive infantry... It can be not a very nice place, but the number of Rivendell Knights and the number of bows is pretty mean. So I'm going to say, a lot like the other guys, I'll love to see how it plays in-game when we're able to do that. But in the meantime, I I still think it could win you a fair number of games. You know, if you're able to maneuver it well, then it's going to be pretty scary. So I'll also give it a Valor. So having thought about it a little bit more, I think... I would definitely say stick with the kind of build you have now where you have more elves than the men because one of the lists that you're going to be really scared about is lists that have a fell beast or two fell beasts or something like that. And having a lot of guys with fight five just means you're way more likely to tie them up and they're going to be way... They're going to be a lot more cagey with how they engage because they're going to be matching fight value, right? And you have the elven blade on them. So I would say that... Yeah, I think uh, overall I'm out of Valor too. It's definitely got, like, some really good things about it, and I think you could definitely win tournaments and games with it. But if you come up against a wizard, you're going to be, like, really sad. (laughs) Especially, like, a Gandalf who can blinding light and then just start blasting everybody away. Like, that'd be a nightmare. Ian, don't be silly. We haven't seen a list with two fell beasts since, well, last edition, right? Right, guys? Not for a thousand years. Not for a thousand years has there been two fell beasts. And I don't know. Flying Circus doesn't feel nearly as likely anymore. I mean, there definitely are. Like Ian said, any list where they can do blinding light is going to be harder, but one, they can do blinding light and start blasting things. Like, you've essentially just got, like, uh, what's his name? Danny DeVito. Anyways, I started shooting. And that's, there goes half your elf list. So anyways, I started blasting. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, yeah, but even if you came up like I guess catapult or like just a ballista too, any kind of siege weapon where it's just like can reliably take off one or two models a turn, it's just gonna be devastating. 
Well, that's kind of all all cavalry. That's all cavalry lists, though. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I do like how reliable Elrond is, though, as a hero, because he's most likely going to be in range of the banner. So you have a hero of the West that gets a reroll on the duel and the banner reroll stacked, and then you're, you're going to use your will for the nature's wrath. But if you get wounded, Elrond can also renew himself. So you can deny the enemy's VPs as well, which means you can be a little more reckless with Elrond, even though he's your leader. Okay, I think we've talked about this before, does, but does it actually deny the enemy VPs? Because your leader is still taking a wound. They just got it back. But you no, calculate it at the end of the game. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. Charles, um, you have done what I could not. You did well with your list. But <laughs> uh, but there's... There's still like the risk that you came in with your like uh, your 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 other uh, novelist. We have just the two big heroes, in, in at 800 points. So well, that list did pretty well, but that was a mostly infantry. That was a grindy list, yeah. as opposed to this. This is more of like of like a like a micro intensive uh, yeah. list. Okay, so those have been our lists for both Boromir profiles. Again, you can find uh, all of our army lists on our Facebook page. Just search Into the West podcast on Facebook, and you should be able to find all of the lists that we reviewed today. And next, we'll be moving on to our open topic, which is Georg Actions Interaction. Today we'll be discussing interactions of the heroic actions in the game. So certain synergies and combinations that you can do with heroic actions and kind of some tricks that we have experimented with in the past or stuff that just like theories that, that we, we can potentially use in, in a game. So I guess the easiest way to break it down would be the, with the phases of the game. So I think firstly we'll start off with move phase and then we'll talk about shoot phase and then finally fight phase. So when it comes to movement phase in this game, I think there's a there's quite a few things that you can do with heroic actions. So generally people will call a heroic move if they want to move first and you call a heroic march if you want to move a longer distance, but I think with how the heroic move mechanic works you can actually combine them with other things in the game that can kind of create some really nice synergies. So I think some of you guys have used this before, but like a combination of heroic move and a heroic march. Has that been done before? Because I've, I've heard people talking about it. Every single game in Seize the Prize. Uh, it's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it's like every, every single time. Oh, I don't win priority. All right, heroic move, heroic march. Gone. Yeah. That is probably the standard open, and I feel like players who are not ready for that will most likely end up just losing Seize the Prize the first turn, and they don't even yeah. realize it. Yeah. I Well, that's that's an issue with a scenario, rather than, <laughs> than heroics being crazy good, you know what I mean? But yeah, it, it is, like you said, it's, it's like the, the base standard open you kind of have to go for. So basically, when you combine move and march, it's it allows you to move first, but then also move the extra distance, right? And condition being that they have to be in within six inches of both heroes, right? So you have to, or yeah, yeah, you have to end within six inches of both of them. 
I guess we should say in in the scenario we're talking about right now and seize the prize, the point is, for those who don't know, is, is so you, if you win the heroic move, you can get troops, usually cavalry, to run past the objective. So it blocks off the enemy from getting it, and then you can run up one of your own models, dismount them, and then they can try and pick up the objective turn one. To elaborate on okay. that. Can certain models in the bubble of the heroic march at the double, can they choose not to benefit from the heroic march in order to charge that turn as well? I yeah, believe so, so, yeah. Yeah, so you just activate yeah. those models before the hero that calls heroic march. Yeah, so it's actually really, really cool combination, right? Because like, you can avoid that penalty of not being able to charge from the heroic march if you want to. I guess the tricky thing is to you have to make sure both of the heroes calling your two actions don't get blocked because I've I've seen people forget that and then they forget the hero that calls the action has to move first and then they're actually behind a warrior so the hero calling it ends up not moving and then the heroic march isn't as useful because the troops can't move very far. So for the heroic move, it's important. For the heroic march, it doesn't matter as much, right? Because you can move that model first, so they only do their base move of six or whatever it is. Then the hero moves and calls the march. So they, you can hide the hero in the second rank and just have one guy who only moves six inches that turn. As long as he ends within the range of the hero, you're fine. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting thing you pointed out, because the hero calling the heroic march, you can choose when to activate his at the double. Before he goes... Technically, you haven't called a march yet, and yeah. the models that you moved before that hero can charge as normal. Yeah, I think there's a few more applications for this combo that I can think of. One is when you're trying to kite the enemy with either bows or throwing spears, and the enemy is getting close to uh, getting within charge distance, and you want to avoid that. And the next one is maybe in a scenario like reconnoiter or or hold ground, or some something that you're trying to rush a particular objective with the enemy, like just right there, and you guys are both vying for the same position. I think one thing to know is you don't see it as often as you might think, because generally in a game, you don't want priority before combat has been initiated. When there's a larger distance between the armies, Generally, you want to lose priority to see and react to what your opponent is doing. And generally, you call heroic marches to close distance. So this isn't the general way to use heroic march, because you never want to combo it when it's that early in the game. Another risk to that combo is um, if your enemy also calls a heroic move, then there's a chance in the rollout that you lose it and cancel both of your heroic actions. Since you call two, you're kind of risking double the amount of might. You know, even if your march goes off, you're not going to be able to use it uh, yeah. very well. You definitely have to have a big think about this because, like you're saying, it is a lot of resources that you're going to expend yeah. for one phase of one turn, right? Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is like the one we didn't mention is Warbies love this combo. They love it. It's great. And chariots because and chariots, when they yeah. trample, it doesn't it doesn't count as charging. So you can combo a heroic march with a chariot or with a war beast, and they would be able to just trample that much farther. Heroic march can also be combined with a war drum for any faction that has a war drum, and this stacks and brings their uh, movement speed at, at crazy high levels. And now there's two other heroic actions in the move phase that are a little less common, and I think they can also be comboed with a movement march. So one of them is heroic channeling, 
because your channeling called by the caster requires them to not be in combat when they're casting, I think heroic move can sometimes you'll want another hero to call the heroic move. It is risky though. Calling channeling is risky because you're kind of you also have to bank on the fact that your enemy won't be able to resist it. So I, I think this is a very rare combination. But you could combo it with a move to ensure that you cast first, or combine it with a heroic march, so that you, certain spells like sorcerer's blast. If you need that extra distance to get the angle you want to blast, March can provide, if you're a mounted wizard, it can give you five more inches to loop around and, and blast at an angle that you want, potentially. I'm just thinking Saruman the White, with his command and transfix, but mostly command, with his 18 inches, and combine that with a horse and a March, then your threat range is probably bigger than most things in the game. 33 inches. Nice. If he runs out 15, casts 18. That's insane. <laughs> like, most fights are on, like, a 2x4 board, right? That's where you, most of the fighting in the game usually takes place. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And I can also think that you can do that with, like, Nature's Wrath 2 or Tremor. Combining that with extra movement can really get you to a spot where your opponent might not suspect and could make or break a game you know, depending on the situation. And finally, there's the Heroic Action that we don't see a lot, Heroic Resolve. I think that this one you can also combine with the March or Move. It would be a very rare situation, and I'm trying to think of when you would. Because how Resolve works is when you call it at the start of the movement phase, it immediately gives every model within six inches one dice to resist. So models can move away from that hero afterwards and still have that one dice to resist. It's just a hero that called it cannot move. So if you wanted a model behind your ranks to get that one dice to resist, you can still move them out from position with a march or something like that. You can combine it that way as well. Well, I think the biggest thing is just that means you have to move first, right? So obviously if you're gonna if you desperately need that magic resistance, you might have to call the heroic move just to make sure you get it before the enemy can do their casting. I don't know, guys. I feel like this one's just a, a bit of a stretch. Like, first we gotta even see a regular Heroic Resolve. Super niche. <laughs> heroic Resolve happens immediately. It's not when you move. You call it after priority and you get it. Oh! It's not at the start of the hero's move. It happens Im- immediately. Oh! Yeah. Well, that's better but than yeah, that it's one. Standard Resolve is already so rare that it's just like... Hypothetically, I, I don't even know if this would ever happen, but it's possible. I think that covers most of heroic moves. So let's move on to the shoot phase. So the shoot phase, I feel like it's a really, it's a really simple phase. It's just like I shoot and then you shoot, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't like, it's not as dynamic as movement and combat, and it's kind of like its own separate thing in an SBG. I feel like, so it's going to be very straightforward heroic shoot and heroic accuracy so heroic shoot allows you to shoot first which i don't really see a lot outside of black root veil archers you don't really see it a lot slightly off topic but i think that if heroic shoot allowed you to shoot in the move phase that would actually add a lot of tactical thought and people might actually use it more but you can combine it with heroic accuracy heroic accuracy allows you to re-roll your in the ways so i guess when you combine these two it's if you want to reach certain targets before they shoot back at you would be the times where you would use this. And 
a couple of examples I can think of is if you want to kill like a siege engine crew so that the engine won't be able to fire, or if you want to snipe like a target that buffs archers, so like a Percy or something, is when you would do it. But yeah, any other situations where you think you would combine heroic shoot and accuracy? I've seen this maybe done once or twice. I guess um, you alluded to it, but the Black Veil Archers where Heroic Shoot allows them to re-roll to wounds, so they're going to be Heroic Shooting most of the time anyway. And then how you play that list is to take down as many of the key targets as you can, and Heroic Accuracy is a great way to do it. So I think combining those two in that list, you can probably bring down any target that you do focus on for a turn or two. So I think... It's an incredibly powerful combo for that list, but yeah, I don't see it anywhere else, really. <laughs> the big thing is, is accuracy is, is, is such a high-risk thing. You only really want to do it when you have a large chunk of archers within the range of it who are all have very high chances to hit, because otherwise you could spend a my point and get two hits, and then you're like, well, who cares? It's not really worth it, right? So it's so niche. I don't know if it ends, it's going to end up getting used a lot. I don't know. I mean, and to kill, so I think, like, yeah. I guess the times you can consider it is if you have maybe like crossbows or like siege weapons where you've invested a lot into shooting, and calling these heroics would actually do a lot of damage, and it does matter who goes first. I can think of certain like army compositions, so for example, like a Minas Tirith list with Rangers of Gondor in the second rank, then I can see maybe a, a heroic accuracy is worth it. Because typically, if you want to hit those rangers, half your shots will hit the defense six front line. And so having to reroll that, you know, you'll kill more rangers and less of them will shoot back at you. So in those situations, obviously, you still need to think, is it worth the risk? Is it worth investing two points of might to kill two or three more rangers and prevent them from shooting back at you? That reminds me, if it's two rangers of Athelians, uh going up against each other, and they're all hiding behind terrain, then you definitely want to combo this. Whoever shoots first will win. That sounds like I mean, 40k. Because, <laughs> like, once you get to, like, that high numbers of dice rolling and shooting, like, I don't think it's... it's I don't know how much it would make a difference. I mean, yeah, I guess if you're shooting first every turn, then it would matter. I don't know. Not a lot going on in the shoot phase, like you said, no. Charles. There's <laughs> only two actions, and there's only... Yeah, there's not a lot you can do with them. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have more to say in fight phase. So in the fight phase, we have heroic combat and uh, heroic strike and heroic defense. And I think there's a lot you can do with these, especially with heroic combat, because the special mechanic with um, that heroic action is allows you to move in a phase where you usually can. So I think the most common one is called the bulging tactic, which is um, you combine heroic strike with heroic combat. Well, I suppose that's that's like the obvious one is like if you get two characters into combat with one enemy model, one calls the strike and one yeah. calls the heroic combat. So then they can kill that model and they can both jump on to another hero model and flash kill that hero, right? In circumstances where they otherwise wouldn't have a great chance of winning the fight, but now you're swinging in two hero models and you're going to be at higher fight value. You don't necessarily even have to swing both. You just have to swing the the striking hero into the other hero model. Yeah, yeah, if, if that, that, that's that's the general idea, but usually, yeah, if you can get the second hero and you get more out of it. But even then, even that's just, I guess, basic, con- like, uh, 
heroic combat shenanigans. Well, the other one that that is kind of mentioned online with heroic combats a lot is if I don't know, say I have a large Boromir charging into my puny little Gurrits, and Boromir goes, "I'm gonna hurl combat," and Gurrits goes, "Hmm, well I'm dead anyway. I'll call hurl combat too, because if he wins the roll off and that fight goes first, even if Boromir kills Gurrits." It wasn't Boromir's heroic combat, so Boromir doesn't get to continue moving. That's yeah. a very cheeky way you can throw people off. Yeah, it's especially if, you know, it's something that it's good to have, like, in your knowledge, because I've seen players where they see their hero go up against a massive big beat stick, and then they're like, oh, I, I, can't, I can't strike up, I don't have heroic strike, I don't have heroic defense, I guess my three my hero is just going to die. But you can actually put that might to use and call a hero combat and maybe stall the enemy hero for a turn. Yeah, a lot of situations like that end up working out. And I think, okay, I'm going to get into like, like an example that I actually had against you, uh, Charles, if I can, quickly. I don't know if you remember this. It was when we were practicing for Nova, um, and you had your, your Aragorn Boromir list, and I had my list that had uh, Arvidu and Glorfindel in it. And what happened is you basically set it up. So you had Boromir fighting Glorfindel. And you had Aragorn nearby, set up for hurl combat, so he could go and swing in to, um, into Glorfindel. There's enough space for the base to fit. So then you'd get both of your huge heroes into my leader, and you'd probably have a decent chance of killing me, right? Because we'd both be at fight 10, probably, because if I struck up. And then you'd have tons of dice, lots of might, four pluses to wound if you win the fight. So I was trying to figure out a way to get out of this. And I couldn't think of what to do. And then it finally occurred to me, because I also had Arvidui nearby, who could hurl combat. So what I did, instead of calling the strike with Glorfindel and risking risking that 50-50 dual roll, what I did is I called the hurl combat with Glorfindel and with Arvidui. So no matter what happens, so let's so basically what happens is I've called two hurl combats, and then Aragorn has called the one hurl combat, and Bormir is struck up. So if I win the roll-off, I can say, okay, cool, Glorfindel's going to fight Boromir. Boromir might win the fight, he might win the horse, might kill Glorfindel's horse and stuff, but he's not going to kill Glorfindel. Then if Aragorn's Coral Combat goes off after that and he charges into Glorfindel, I have the higher fight value. So he doesn't really want to do that, so I'm kind of safe for that turn. If I lose the roll-off, Aragorn's Coral Combat goes first, he kills his guy, Boromir and Aragorn are into Glorfindel, then I choose Arvidui's one to go off, Arvidui wins his fight, kills his guy, and then charges into one of them, charges into, like, Boromir, and takes peels Boromir off the combat. So suddenly, it's again, it's Glorfindel versus Aragorn instead. That's really tricky, because I remember when you called that maneuver, I had no idea what you were doing. I was like, is he just trying to get a couple kills in before the game ended? <laughs> I know. I had no idea you were trying to pull that on me. Dude, it was, it was probably one of the moments I'm like most proud of in my gaming, because I was like, this is an impossible situation, and I found a way out. <laughs> that was very, very clever. Great use of uh, timing, like the sequence of which combat goes first. In that situation, it really mattered. Yeah, but that just kind of leads into what we're talking about. Is like in the combat phase, because of heroic combats, you can pull off so many like crazy maneuvers and do some really crazy things like that. And it's definitely yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think um, another really common use that we see just with multiple hero combats is the chain effect, and you see this mostly 
in, I would say, the Rangers of the North because you have so many heroes. And they're not maybe the strongest heroes, so they might not be killing in every single combat, but if they're close enough to each other and they all call hero combats, then you kind of go down the line, you know, this combat, you kill what's there, and then you jump into a combat that another one of your heroes already called hero combat, so you help them kill. The hero combat from the first one can no longer move, but then you help kill and then activate the next hero combat and so on. So I think that particular move is helpful when you have a list of a bunch of smaller heroes. It's also a good move when you're playing like the tempo game, right? And similarly, you can do it with like uh, the Rise of Thaden Legendary Legion we call Death that one turn. You can kind of use the same strategy and do chain hero combats too if you wanted to. Ian was going over what other things you can combo with that. And I think you could combine it with heroic defense as well. I was just going to say that. I think, yeah. I was, yeah. Do you have an example from one of your games? No. <laughs> but I'm, I think we're probably on, on the same page here. Like, if you tried, like, if I don't know, if there's some big enemy monster that's all set up to do something nasty, he's fighting a warrior, they're set up to roll combat, and maybe you you don't want to risk one of your heroes completely by like striking it, risking sending somebody to strike up against them. Maybe you do a heroic defense, and then just if your heroic combat goes off first, you throw the guy who heroic defensed into that combat with the big scary thing, just to stop their combat from happening because they're probably not going to kill that model. I don't know. I've never tried it before. It's just I could see it happening. It's kind of corner case, but yeah, I've also seen you just like use heroic combats to charge into another combat just to split split it up. I think one example is, uh, we've talked about this profile a few times, the Watcher in the Water, and I know Richard brought up the strategy where you pull like an enemy into the Watcher's base with like a bat swarm, and I think in situations with that like a great counter is if you can somehow hero combat into that combination of models and try to like pull them apart to so that the intended target ends up fighting the bat swarm, and then you just charge another hero in to fight the Watcher. In that way, you can save a hero that has been targeted and is in great danger. That's just an example of how you can disrupt the the mechanic of um, splitting combats by charging in an additional model. Okay. I thought of something else. This is like, we're getting a little, a little crazy, but the, the general idea is kind of comboing a heroic combat with a heroic move sounds a little stupid because they're in different phases of the game and in different separate turns of the game but what i'm thinking right is if you need to break through a line you need to get to someplace and there's a line of enemy troops in your way what you can do provided you're probably going to need a big mounted hero who can do a bit of hitting but they charge into two models heroic combat kill those two charge into the spear rank behind kill those two as well now there's a gap in the line, and then the next turn you can call a heroic move and zip, you're out of there. They can't catch you. So that's a little bit, not exactly what we're talking about, comboing in the same phase, but kind of like consecutively. So you're like setting yourself up for next turn with the hero combat. Yeah, yeah. I was actually just thinking of a very similar situation. A situation where you essentially get the hero in with a whole bunch of troops, like if you're charging a cavalry model. You'd call the heroic combat, but instead of immediately charging into other troops, you kind of split off at an angle so that instead of those models charging again, you set up 
within your charge range in a position where at the beginning of the next turn, if the opponent gets move first, they have to decide which direction they want to move in, who they want to charge. They can't charge your entire line at once because then you have repositioned a combat over to one side, where if they charge the majority of your line, you counter charge from the other side because of the combat in the previous turn. Sometimes it works. It's really situational, though. It depends on what models you have. Because if they're, if they're like cavalry models, obviously, that's very dangerous because you can move out of their charge range and then get charge bonuses. If they're just infantry, it's it's kind of um, more about positioning. Similarly, heroic combat um, with a big hero into a line before lines hit. And then instead of charging into more troops, you back out behind your line again and wait for your opponent to essentially overreact a situation. That's actually something Richard taught me once in a game. And you essentially just get your opponent to overcommit to a situation because now your line would generally be within charge range, but you can put yourself in a position where your big hero that just killed one or two troops is now in a position where they cannot be charged at the beginning of the next turn, but you can instead charge or countercharge. I think it's sad that you can't combo anything with your challenge because the hero has to fight alone. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> uh, it's almost as if it was designed that way. It's uh, too good. It would be broken if they can be comboed. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is there, like, could you do something with the twins? Because they get it for free or someone who gets a challenge for free? Is there any? I don't think there's anything to do with that. No, he, his is not free. His no, is an allegiance. An allegiance, right? Yeah. So that, that's yeah, that's a special case. I and mean, we've talked about that before. I don't think you can can, can combine it because oh. um, no other models can join the fight. Yeah. So one profile that I just want to bring up because when I've read over it, I kind of was trying to think what the game designers were trying to come up with. Maybe a, something you sneaky can do, but I wasn't. I couldn't think of any. So that is Snaga from uh, Warren Rohan. So. He has a rule called Cutting Mind. Snaga can choose not to take part in a friendly heroic model's heroic actions and still be able to act as normal later in the phase. Even if by not participating as, as part of the heroic action, he would normally not be able to act that turn. Additionally, if Snaga chooses to participate in a friendly hero's heroic action, he does not have to remain within a specific range of a hero. So I think this means that, for example, in a heroic move, he can choose not to move with me and then move later. And then he, he also doesn't have to stay in range of the hero that called it. So I'm just trying to think what the intention of this was and what kind of shenanigans you can potentially do with it. Does it, it doesn't affect anybody around him, does it? Just himself. Yeah, if it was like, if it affected the models within three inches of him, I think this would actually be really useful. Since it's just himself, I don't know how useful it is. Because usually in those situations where you only want to move part of your army and then have the more to respond with, you want to have multiple models, not just one guy who's on foot, right? That's kind of why, I think that's part of the reason why some impossible alliances can actually work well. There is ways to make those work where it's beneficial, but I, I don't see it in this case. You usually take advantage with like a big hitter, usually mounted, and uh, you know no one's going to be scared of Snaga's counter charge. So, you know, it's not going to do much. I mean, yeah, you can kind of move him the opposite direction of the heroic move to grab an objective or something like that, while the rest of the with me moves the other way towards the enemy. 
and and I guess you can say that you can use Naga's counter charge to give like an ugluck animosity. You can guarantee that he has the plus one to wound. But yeah, it's it's very corner case, and I was just wondering if there's like something crazy that you could do with it, but I just couldn't think of any. I guess when the wording of the rule saying that a friendly hero's heroic action, it could mean himself as well. So if he called a heroic action, maybe he can choose to participate later. So like a heroic move, he doesn't have to move first. Okay, that would be interesting though, because then you could have him in the front rank. He calls the heroic move and everybody else goes, and then he goes, all right, now it's my turn. That's kind of <laughs> handy. Yeah. But again, still, that's so game-specific, right? He has to be in the right place at the right time. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe there isn't any like crazy shenanigans that you can do. Maybe it's just like a little minor sort of cool thing. All right, I think that has been our open topic on heroic actions interaction. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast. Mm-hmm.